Hello and welcome to episode 4 of the Spool.ie podcast. Listen to this. You've been all my life. Do we know you? Terry Hilly, I run a record shop on that big time song. Big time, you ain't no friend. I want that in my shop. You can want all you like. Uh-huh. You mean you haven't recorded it? <laughs> recorded it, aye. Who's gonna come to Belfast to sign us? It's just the way it is. We don't care. Fuck sick, raise your expectations. I'll do it, I'll put it on. You're pissed. So what? I'll put that record out. How? I don't know. How hard can it be? Whatever you think, man. I'll be in touch next week, fellas. You're making a record. Hello. Uh, that was a clip from Good Vibrations, which is opening today. And Nigel and I were lucky to catch it at a preview screening. And you heard a sample track there from Rudy, which is one of the main bands that it focuses on. So it tells the story of Terry Hooley who is played by Richard Dormer and it concerns, he was kind of like Belfast's, I don't know, godfather of punk back in the 70s and it tells the story of how he was kind of sick of how Belfast was kind of a war zone. It didn't really matter what you were, it would only care if you were Catholic or Protestant and he decided to open up a record store with his friends and through that, um... All these different kind of punk bands came. It was almost like a mecca for the young youth of Belfast. And so bands such as Rudy, there was the Outcasts. And then he also pretty famously was the person to discover the undertones. Um, so which, which we could have played in that opening clip. But every single other bit of uh, conversation and review of this film uses the very lazy thing of having the undertones teenage kicks. Yeah. And so we've decided to dispense with doing that. And plus, they are a Derry band, not a Belfast band. True. So the way they great. handle the undertones, because that is one of the seminal moments in the film when they discover how good teenage kicks is. The way they handle that is really good. You know, they could have done the cliched thing of everybody sitting around a recording studio and nodding their head and you know, high five and but it's done really nicely and um Yeah, because they did they they drop the needle on the record and you're like, oh no, let's not have this beard scratchy kind of thing as yeah. they all tune. But we get you know yeah. we everyone you know, they, they have a thing with headphones and you're just kinda there and uh, he's kinda listening and his face um It catches the vibrancy of it really well. Um the directors uh who are the directors? They have um, two names. Yeah, it's kind of a team Does of mean, uh, Is it two people or one person? I don't know. She might have um She could be split a, personality. a quadruple barreled name, like you yeah. know what happens when double barrels and double barrels. So it's Glen Glenn Leyburn and Lisa Boris Desa. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. So anyway, they did a fantastic job of kind of catching the energy of the music scene. It kind of trundles along at a great speed and it's really funny as well. It's not too, like, it could have got bogged down in the whole politics of the area. It does touch on it, like, it'd be stupid if it didn't. But it handles it really well. And, 
Yeah, it's, it's it treats it in a brilliant way because like his dad was was it the Communist Party? His yeah, dad, like Terry Hooley's father ran. Am I right in saying twelve times? Yeah, as a losing candidate for presumably Westminster, representing Belfast. Yeah, um, kind, and, and so it makes like a little bit Tony of a, Ben. Did he? No, did you pick up on that? I I did I did not know. No, I only know Nigel Ben. Oh, okay, I only know uh, Nigel. Tony Ben's so. the Labour kind of lived um who everybody Le- looks up to in he's English the politics. Guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought his dad kind of looked a bit like him. Um, who yeah, knows who it is, yeah. But it doesn't, it's a good biopic because it, do, it, it doesn't, you know, like smooth over the cracks of his life as such. No, like I came out of it a little bit. So we saw this on a Sunday morning at about 10 o'clock in the morning on this yeah. uh, uh, preview thing for, was it, the IFI, IFI members or something, yeah. you know. So a couple of random punters in there and stuff. And, um, it, but it was good. And, um, you're in there just sort of going in and thinking that he is a little bit of a prick by the end of it. Yeah, like, kind of. Yeah, yeah, it's not like, oh, he's he is amazing. Like, what he did do was fantastic. He has this never-say-die attitude yeah. and nothing will stand in his way. But in regards of his home life, it's not all roses and everything, and you his, know. Even his, his uh, business partner, you feel incredibly sorry for him. Yeah, you're kind of like he, you would want to strangle him. Um, His wife, Ruth, is played by Jodie Whittaker and she's brilliant because mm-hmm. she kind of shows you what it's like to live like these with these types of people who are just so motivated by their work and their career. Yeah. She reminded me a little bit of um in control Ian Curtis's wife uh-huh. Linda Curtis. Yeah. Her name I can't remember what her name is. Could be. Mrs. Curtis in the film Anton Corbin's uh, Control. Yeah. In the way she is just kind of left sort of I don't know outside of the 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 the, the characters like uh, she has a great line in it that all she wants to be is the most important thing yeah uh-huh. in his life not the biggest thing yeah Isn't exactly that it? yeah and um yeah so they they come to blows but it it's definitely um you give it five stars in your yeah review, it's great and great I'm not gonna soundtrack um disagree with it perfect film really i definitely go see it again when it comes out and it's opening today so go and catch it first one that i'm going to talk about is another we're very topical this week this is another film that's out uh this weekend and it's Danny Boyle's new film, Trance. And uh, I was going to try and pick out a clip to listen to this. Um, but the whole thing, like Danny Boyle is such a visual like filmmaker that actually sometimes with directors, you can actually listen to their <laughs> to bits of their film yeah, and it works uh-huh. brilliantly. But any of the clips that are online for this doesn't really work because you're missing out so much more. So um, yeah. Trance, anyway, is a little bit of a crazy film. It's a film about hypnotism. It's a film about people's memories. Not um, techno music. And not really, no, not the the genre of trance music. I wish I wish it were, but um, it does have Rick Smith of, of the band Underworld doing the music again. Okay. He worked with Danny Boyle on... Trainspotting. spotting and did lots of other ones as well, didn't he? I can't remember. He's worked with them three or four Slum times. Slumdog Millionaire? Anyway. No. Uh, no, he didn't do <laughs> Slumdog, unfortunately. He didn't go to Mumbai for that. And um, so anyway, James McAvoy plays an art auctioneer who um, he gets into some gambling debt and so decides to become an inside man on a like a heist, if you like. And so Vincent Cassell heads up the, the criminal gang who move in to uh, the, the art house. Uh, or no, not an art house, kind of an auction house. Oh, yeah, Selling museum. The art no. auction okay, house, yeah. I think. And so, um, yeah, so what happens? It's kind of comical. James McAvoy then basically bangs his head during his part in the hit. And um, 
the p- painting goes missing and so um, so then where's the painting it's kind of daft and it's kind of yeah. like where's the painting so the logical thing you do rather they beat him up for a while pull out a few fingernails um, but then they're like oh we're just going to have to hire a hypnotist because that's what you do when yeah. you can't remember anything so the hypnotist is played by Rosario Dawson and um, then we we go into a hell of a lot of really crazy sequences of of of, uh, of recall fantasy um, under her kind of hypnosis and so the film is really really daft I'm not going to say it isn't it's not it doesn't it's not going to hold up in years to come to be like we people have disagreements about Inception and films like Memento as well but they are well you kind of have problems with them they are fantastic at showing a certain part of the human mind and how memory and certain things are kind of lost but I don't really think trance has that depth to it mm-hmm. but it is amazingly good fun and um so the thing with it is... Is the hypnotist a, thing a bit of a gimmick, though, or does it work? Yeah, it plays into it a little bit when okay. there's enough layers in it. Yeah, because I've seen this and you haven't seen this one. And, yeah. Um, yeah, there's enough layers in it that kind of keep you, you guessing. And by the end of it, I was still on board, but I imagine a few people, by the time there's been enough about turns and twists, mm. they'll be kind of sick of the whole thing. Um, and the thing to note in it is that Danny Boyle did it. Um, so he was uh, putting together the opening ceremony for the 2012 London Olympics. And so that only took two or two and a half days work a week. So most of us would have just kind of, you know, cashed in our check and, yeah. and gone gone to the zoo and gone hung around London for a couple of weeks. Yeah. But uh, instead, he's like, oh, I better make a film in the spare time that I have. So he does have that. And there is a sense that it is a little bit, bit disjointed and him having a bit of fun. Yeah. Like so. Um, but I, I loved it. Um, yeah. So the next one will be a bit divisive, I think, because we both agree that it's a good film, but I kind of hated it and Nigel appreciated it, I think. Is that fair to say? Yeah, so I saw it a good while ago. The film is... Sorry, compliance. compliance. Uh, she will start and have a little bit of a clip from it and then we'll explain it. I want to make this as easy as possible for Becky, wouldn't you agree? Yes, I would. So that's the first thing. And in this situation, either... And I don't like this. We drag her downtown, we book her, we process her, we put her in a holding cell where she'll probably be all night. That seems... Um, very extreme. Yeah. I mean, I think in order to keep this sort of contained, what we could do is just have you strip search her right now, which would be easier and quicker, I think. Gee, I don't know if, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. Yeah, I know, but her story doesn't jive, see? You know, I mean... I know, but it means we have to put her into the system, you know? Okay, so there we had a clip from Compliance... And that was Becky, the staff member, played by Dreamer Walker. And Amazing name, Dreamer. Is that a yeah. really white trash name or is that a really classy name? It seems like I a made-up name because it's Dream just with an A stuck at the end of it. Yeah. You know, it's Parents like... Parents are hippies. Mm. And her boss, played by Anne Dowd. Anne Dowd is fantastic in this. So basically the setup is that Becky has been accused of stealing money from one of the customers. And her boss... And out is rung by somebody purporting to be a police officer who says that she must take the employee into the back office and keep her there and do various things because the police officer is too preoccupied to come down to the station to carry out this activity. Come down from the station. Yeah. 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 So, you know, kind of going into the film that it's based on a true story. You don't know how much. But like we can tell you now, it doesn't really spoil on anything. It's a hundred percent true, because for the first forty minutes of the film, you're kind of going, "This is the most ridiculous nonsense you've ever seen." It's so unbelievable, 
and it's kind of playing like it's set in America in a fast food chain and so you're a bit dismissive at the start because you're like okay maybe these people aren't up to speed normally or of lesser intelligence so you're kind of like well that sounds really insulting but I think he did play on that the director yeah yeah yeah, yeah the director so. Craig Zobel he's playing set in on Kentucky that. right so yeah, it's, it's like middle midwest is it yeah so that's kind of playing in it because you're just thinking this is too ridiculous and some of the things like at one point they ask the boss to strip search the employee get her to take her clothes put it in a plastic bag go out to the car park put the plastic bag in the front seat of her car and leave the door open because the police officer is going to come down and check but on he the bag. He doesn't have time to go inside though. Yeah. He's busy. So then it kind of takes a turn for the worst about 40 minutes through. So then for the second 40 minutes of the film, you just basically want to leave and walk out. Well, I felt that way anyway. It's just... No, it's not incredibly graphic. You don't see too much. Yeah, but it's almost what you don't see. And it's just this yeah. really, really creepy kind mm-hmm. of thing more than anything. Um, I think it's... So, without giving too much away... I think we can say... In that it's not... A, yeah, it's not yeah, a policeman. Yeah, it's not a policeman. You kind of know that yeah. going into the film. It kind of... And it, then at times towards the end, like, it get The film isn't bad. Like, it's shot fantastically. All the actors' performances are really good. And you have to give credit to the director because he does build this sense of unease and dread for the whole film. But for me, it verged too much a bit on the exploitation side of it. I, I don't know if... But it gets a reaction, right? Is that not really what you're looking for when you go to have these things? Like, his intention was to make you feel kind of sick. But I think you could have done it a different... I don't know if I agree with that. Like, if I go to a horror film, I want to be scared. Mm. I don't want... Like, because this but would... this had the same kind of feeling in your gut and you're kind of like... Yeah, but it, I wasn't scared. I was more so, yeah, sickened. just kind of disgusted. And, like, when you mm. find out at the end that the whole thing is real or if you go and look it up after... Um, that kind of adds a whole other level to it because you can't say that this is just um, all made up you know this yeah. actually happened so then you kind of think well I wonder what happened to the actress who's you know the real people involved in all of this and that would have been more interesting or I think if, if you had have examined that yeah and the motive as well there's next to no yeah like he didn't look into why so we've more or less ruined the whole film, but like I don't think anyone. It's it's been out a couple of weeks, so if yeah, I wouldn't you recommend so. anybody going to yeah. see this either. By the but, way, um, in good conscience, like yeah. I'll never watch it again. And but there's no know. motivation for this guy. Like he does. He, this isn't an isolated case. Like he does this thing where he just calls. Yeah, he makes these phone calls like all the time. And yeah. has call cards and all this really gammy system of getting inside people's heads. And I mean, this is a really low budget film with completely unknown people and. Mm-hmm. Played at Sundance a year ago and had a horrible reaction. Like, a, a, I kind of think the ideal reaction where everyone is either sickened or completely taken aback by it. Yeah. But everyone has a reaction to it. And I think as an independent filmmaker like that, that's all probably you want. So I'd say the director is probably delighted. Yeah. Like, with, there was parts towards the end because the whole concept of the film kind of is there was these experiments back in the 60s by Stanley Milgram who kind of came up with their kind of famous tests now, whereby you would have two people. One would ask questions and the other would answer. And if the person got a question wrong, the other person would shock them. And it was to see how far somebody would go. Like The Simpsons, right? Yeah. yeah the the, it the would first sh- ever episode of The Simpsons, if I'm not mistaken. It would show how first far somebody broadcast. would go to shock it. And it was found that a number of people would administer a shock that could potentially kill the person. Mm. So towards the end of the film, I'm kind of watching it going... 
is this all made up and is the director just trying to see how much we will put up of with this film before we walk out you know so I don't know okay. um, so anyway that was the end of part one that was the month of March yeah so now we'll move on to part two we'll take a little bit of classical music here enjoy this So there you have a little bit of music still playing in the background there below us. Um, music from Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo um, from the score which was composed by Bernard Herrmann. I'm not one of these people who's big into film scores. I don't think I own I own the Taxi Driver one, which he did, but I'm not sure I've ever bought any other film scores. You buy a few, um, but... Uh, actually, no, yeah. you don't. You buy soundtracks rather than... Soundtracks, yeah. Well, most of them. Anyway, Bernard Herrmann, one of the most famous film composers ever, and he did the music for Vertigo. The reason I am talking about Vertigo is because we're doing this thing this month where, because the new films that are out aren't necessarily that worthy of super amount of chat, we're also going to talk about two classic films. So, um that we saw in the month. So this uh, last weekend, lucky enough to see a 70 millimeter print of Vertigo in the Irish Film Institute in Temple Bar. And um, this was recently voted Sight and Sound's greatest ever movie. And I had never seen it. No, yeah, neither had I. I tracked it down once it You saw it last that. year, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. it um, knocked Citizen Kane off the pedestal. Yeah. They don't. They only do the poll every ten years, is it? Or every every ten years, and they ask something like two hundred film critics or academics and stuff. To and directors and directors and everything. And so it's actually a very with no with all due respect to the IMDb poll. Yeah. This is actually like film professionals and everything. And um, so anyway, Vertigo is brilliant. Delighted that I can actually confirm that for anyone who was there going, I wonder what he's going to think about the greatest film ever made. <laughs> it's terrible. It's horrible. <laughs> Hated. I didn't understand it. Um. Film directed by Alfred Hitchcock, uh, came out in 1958. Um, it's I, very important, I think, that you remember that yeah. as you're watching the film that this came out in 1958, especially yeah. for some of the scenes involving like the the crazy colours and everything. Imagine it's sitting in a cinema in 1958 yeah. watching this. And so this was, um, the IFI has the ability, I think they're the only cinema in Ireland, and I'm happy to be corrected on that, that can play a 70mm uh, film reels um, so this is a, an incredibly dense kind of uh, film format that uh, Paul Thomas Anderson was able to use for the master and there's n- next to no films 2001 A Space Odyssey is another one maybe Once Upon a Time in America some of these really like it's only huge expansive kind of films that warrant it so he um, this was from an upgrade in 1996 but I'm pretty sure that he when when it was conceived in 1957 1958 he envisaged it as this really glorious rich dense um, picture set in San Francisco which is an incredibly beautiful city as well so probably deserved the extra you know the razzmatazz the best visual experience possible so um, what's most interesting about it and it stars uh, Jimmy Stewart and um, Kim Novak right yep. should have written all this time can't remember anything but um, it, it actually really does work like there's a couple of parts in it that you would think would seem really dated or that you'd buy into it like this is 55 years old and yet the film 
is there, there's a bit in the middle where it dips but it really really does hold up and I'd recommend it to anyone there's I know I saw an analog you know film print and so I should be pushing that but there's also a blu-ray which I then went and looked at some uh, YouTube HD clips of it which probably look as good without the scratches am I allowed to say <gasps> that I think that's accurate we're having a bit of a side-by-side conversation there but yeah it is it it, it really really does um, it looks fantastic and an amazing thing and what's most exciting about it is that it was um, one uh, number one in a range of four films which I think you could argue might be the greatest quartet of films ever released in order so you had Vertigo in 1958 then North by Northwest then Psycho and then The Birds ah, you can come good. up with four films that I'd are I'd The Birds off and I'd go with the three previous Yeah. then it's only but the film that came before it I think was The Wrong Man I haven't seen that so I can't oh. really say okay. if that's an amazing quartet of films ah. I think it's the kind of film that you would need to study watch a couple of times to really appreciate yeah. get the depth so, of it it doesn't have the immediate appeal as something like Psycho or The Birds yeah it was in or North by Northwest yeah. which I would argue is Possibly better. Well, maybe not better. I don't know. But yeah. the guy who introduced it anyway was a film academic, and I got the impression he'd seen Vertigo maybe about 50 or 60 times. He's written a book on it and everything. Um, so, anyway, that was my classic film of the month, and I would recommend people dig that out. Um, and because of the weekend that is in it, it is Easter weekend, so the film I have picked is The Life of Brian. So we're going to have a little clip from this, and it is the cast of Monty Python sitting around having a chat in the Coliseum. Enjoy. Are you the Judean people's front? Fuck off. What? Judean people's front. Well, the people's front of Judea. Judean people's front. Oh, wankers. Can I join your group? Now, piss off. I didn't want to sell this stuff. It's only a job. I hate the Romans as much as anybody. Are you sure? Oh, dead sure. I hate the Romans already. Listen, if you wanted to join the PFJ, you'd have to really hate the Romans. I do. Oh, yeah? How much? A lot. Right, you're in. Listen. The only people we ate more than the Romans are the fucking Judean people's front. Yeah. Yeah. And the Judean popular people's front. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Split. 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 And the people's front of Judea. Yeah. Splitters. What? The people's front of Judea. Splitters. We're the people's front of Judea. Oh. I thought we were the popular front. People's front. Whatever happened to the popular front? He's over there. Splitters! So there we had a clip from The Life of Brian. I think that one perfectly kind of sums up the genius of it, where it was able to hit so many satirical points right on the head. Like, you could have transported that to Belfast with the different factions, the IRA, the loyalist groups. You could translate it over to the Middle East at the moment with all the factions going on there. And it touched on so many different things. It primarily concerns, you know, it's this character called Brian, who's played by Graham Chapman. And it's kind of marrying the life of Jesus at the time over that Easter weekend. Which is incredibly topical. Yeah. I like your selection. So when it came out initially, there was huge controversy. It was actually banned in Ireland when it came out in 1979. And this wasn't lifted until 1987. So good old Ireland is always uh, leading the way and um, because an awful lot of people saw it as blasphemous and they would make the argument the Monty Python people 
that they weren't as such making fun of Jesus because there was a character who played that character who played Jesus and Brian was just another person but through the use of Brian they were able to kind of show all the you know normal kind of troubles that somebody would have got went through if they were around at that time and there's the whole thing where the people then start to believe that Brian is the Messiah and he is the chosen one and you kind of it gets into your head what that must have been like you know for Jesus if you believe in that what it would have been like to have this huge mantle thrust upon you and how you would cope with that and it's it it results in hilarious um kind of effects and it has yeah. It, yeah it's brilliant i mean i never really got into the monty python tv show there's something about it that felt very clicky and of a different generation but life of brian amazing yeah and there was also the fact that it was coming under they were kind of finding it hard to make. So George Harrison, everybody's oh, yeah, yeah. favorite Beatle, um, he stepped into the form. He's my, he's just Ringo is my favorite Beatle. Ringo is nobody's favorite Beatle. He's Nigel's favorite Beatle. Okay. So anyway, he stepped You're into the the four and uh, basically just paid for the film. I think he gave them all the money. Yeah, they covered um, a lot in the documentary, don't they? The yeah. George Harrison, Martin Scorsese's one that was about two years ago. And uh, he also has a small cameo in it. So when you're watching it, look out for him. Um, yeah, so it's fantastic. I think it's up there as one of the greatest kind of comedies and satires of so many religious things. They also threw Spike Milligan in there. He was a big uh, influence in them. And uh, like Spike would have even said that they just stole everything off him. So there's a hilarious moment when Spike, he just happened to be on holidays where they shot it. I think they shot it in Tunisia. Could be corrected on that. But he was on holidays at the time and they just saw him standing around We're like, oh, here, come be in the film. And there's a really brilliant bit where he's just like, um, why don't we just all sit and have a prayer as everybody else is going nuts trying to decide who to follow and who not to follow. So, um, yeah, it's definitely one to watch over the weekend and um, enjoy. And happy Easter. Happy Easter. Hence end part two. <laughs> you want a house? I'll get you a house. You want to get the f*** out of here? I'll get out of here. I got that trailer. I'll get a truck. We'll hit the road. You pick a place you like, we'll stop. You don't want to be there. We're out of there. What about my mom? She can come. What about Kofi? He can stay. He can get his own girl and his own kid. That's every man's right. It sounds like a nice dream. Bro. So that was a clip from The Place Beyond the Pines. Uh, we mentioned this briefly last month because we got to see it in the Jeddah Festival. Mm. We're previewing April now, I guess we should. Yeah. We're, we're dispensing with intros. We're so cool now. Yeah. That, uh, we're kind of mixing it up. We kind of figure you're familiar with this show so you can get. Well, yeah. <laughs> so um, this is going to be coming out in about two weeks. Um, and as I said, we got to see it at the Jeddah. It's the new Derek Keane France film who directed uh, Blue Valentine, which was fantastic. And he's teamed up again with one of his stalwarts, Ryan Gosling. And it's Ryan Gosling and Bradley Cooper. There's a lot of kind of... I don't know, people seemed a bit confused when the trailer came out initially because nobody really knew what it was about. And they were like, is Ryan Gosling, who is this? Who are the kids in it? What's the relationship? But it's basically... Ryan Gosling is kind of this carny figure almost. And... Um, What's a carny figure? Somebody who works in a oh, circus. Oh, carnival. Yeah. You know, Is that a word? Cletus, yeah. Oh. 
So he works oh. in the carnival and Eva Mendez comes to meet him and we kind of learn out pretty quickly that he's been in the place a year before and has had a son. Um, Eva Mendez has had a son. So this kind of throws his whole world into turmoil and he decides to leave the carnival and stay in town. But Eva Mendez has kind of moved on and has set up a new life. So that creates a bit of a conflict. And as he has no real skills, he just turns to Robin Banks under the mentorship of Ben Mendelssohn, who people would have seen in Killing Them Softly. So it's great to see him back again. The film is, it's, I think it came in about three hours, did it? Yeah, two, it? 2.20 only. Oh, so it does feel quite long, but it's really enjoyable. Like when I saw it, it kind of, it felt almost like a John Steinbeck novel being put on the screen. It's very father-son relationships, the whole overreaching. Yeah, it's it's really three films. Uh-huh. Kind of we see fa- this issues with different like relationships interacting. And yeah. And, um... There's a bit then with uh, we saw uh, the actor Dane DeHaan, I think is yeah. the pronunciation. He was in Chronicle last year. Yeah, and so he kind of anchors a bit, and he is phenomenal. Um, I think he's definitely going to be one to watch. He's like he's like a young Leonardo DiCaprio. True, isn't he actually like yeah. a young Leonardo? Yeah. I thought that up myself. Um, yeah, so that's going to be coming out in about two weeks. Um, that's out in two weeks time. Yeah, definitely so go that's check it. Your pick, my pick for the upcoming month. Um, which I haven't seen, obviously, because uh, but we hope to see it in the coming days. Hopefully, there's a preview that we'll hopefully scab our way into. Is um, the remake of the Evil Dead, which um, I think it's safe to say we've different feelings on this. A lot of people have very mixed feelings on the Evil Dead remake. Um, it is what kind of turned me on, uh, or my opinion on it, is that it got the. What term Nigel uh, gets aroused by horror films if you haven't realised yeah. this that's why I loved Chronicle so much mm. um, so no yeah the Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell are both involved they've both given they're it both the thumbs up and given yeah. it their blessing and um, it's got a script by Diablo Diablo Cody which is mad like you yeah. know she, how is she writing an Evil Dead Diablo Cody who wrote uh, Juno Young Adult and one other film that I can't remember uh, the, the, the one with uh Megan Fox, Jennifer's Body. Oh yeah, you see that? Yeah, terrible. Yeah. Pretty, yeah, pretty terrible. Pretty bad. Yeah, I felt it. It was much better than it kind of led yeah. on to be. And um, so directed by Fede Alvarez, who's a really young filmmaker, and Sam Raimi kind of has taken him kind of under his wing, as far as I know. And thing with Evil Dead is all the um, effects in it. There's absolutely no CGI. Everything is done in camera, real old style prosthetics, and. Um, in camera effects and just seems like a really good throwback horror film and if people can forget about the classic uh, original Evil Dead 1981 Hmm, Um, if they can forget about it and view it as its own it's a really bare bones it more or less um, it didn't invent but it certainly perfected the whole you know group of young people going to a cabin um, and getting sexually violated by a tree and like people are kind of <laughs> putting their nose up at like, oh, you can't touch this. But and I would probably put myself in that camp because the first two were kind of funny and original. And I much would have just rather seen Sam Raimi go and direct Evil Dead 4 yeah. instead of this. Because it seems like just from looking at the trailer, we haven't seen it yet. So we won't, you know, pass judgment um, that they've taken the story and just made it into a modern day horror film. Like there's no yeah, none of the charm or anything. I don't but then know. the other argument to that is that 
sure the second Evil Dead film was pretty much a remake of the first one so and Evil Dead 1 and 2 are still going to be there in the morning no matter what this remake does Um, so finally we're going to wrap up with uh, our magical movie moment of the month what we have seen in the last couple of weeks that was kind of cool do you want to go first yeah mine was for Oz um, speaking of Evil Dead Sam Raimi's most recent film Oz the Great and the Powerful that's a nice link by the way yeah we didn't even plan that Um, so as a throwback to the first one the first 15-20 minutes are shot in black and white and then when James Franco lands down in Oz it turns into colour and there was also a thing to do with the sound whereby in Kansas it was in mono and then when it cuts to Oz it goes into the crazy Super Super Stereos, yeah, eight point one DTS, mega, and we were digital. lucky enough to see this in the IMAX three D, and it was the scene where it goes from the like what is it ratio the four to goes to like traditional four three yeah to then full anamorphic and uh, it's it's fantastic it's amazing it's like this is what IMAX and three D was made for. And the whole film in general looks fantastic, but that just one moment yeah. I thought was just like, whatever, Because the screen just keeps getting bigger and yeah. bigger and bigger. And you're like, when is this going to stop growing? Yeah. Well, you, you were on those mushrooms as well, though, right? <laughs> Only joking. Yeah. Um, no, it was great because that was like a matinee film, right? I yeah, saw, yeah. I saw perfect. that one with yeah. you and it was just, it felt like a really good family movie. And a lot, it got kind of a mixed reaction, but I think visually... And the style that he had mm. kind of gone on there. Was I think phenomenal. it's made him a ton of money as well, so he should get to do a second. Well, he'll get to Spider-Man. make another film, anyone. Give him back Spider Man, please. Yeah. Um, yeah, so to cl- wrap up, my magical movie moment of the month is from Stolen, which is uh, an absolutely terrible but incredibly enjoyable film uh, starring Nicolas Cage, which came out, uh, I think, last week. Came out in America last year, sometime in. It's taken till now that the dregs of March. Anyway, what's your moment? Anyway, so the magical moment comes at the end of the film. I'm going to ruin it for you. So if you are going to go see Stolen, turn us off. Don't go see it. Um, No, (laughs) shut. So the premise of the whole film is that Nicolas Cage is a bank robber whose daughter is kidnapped while just when he gets out of jail after serving seven or eight years in jail. So the daughter is kidnapped by his former accomplice who hijacks a taxi puts the daughter in the boot of the taxi sound insulates the taxi and then (laughs) drives around new orleans during mardi gras so it's really loud and so even though the kid is in there banging away it's just a party town anyway so anyway we get to the end they meet just outside at an abandoned uh fairground uh and uh so the the other bad guy played by josh lucas who is having an absolute laugh in this film he's like he is really, really fantastic. He's like a pirate um, crack dealer. sort of. It's wonderful. Anyway, so he sets the car on fire with the daughter in it. And then Nicolas Cage is like, oh, shit, what am I going to do? So I think he punches uh, Josh Lucas, the other bad guy. Then he kind of seems to go on fire himself. And then he drives into a really nearby lake. So he's on fire. The taxi's on fire. The kid is in there. She's been in the burning car like for hours and hours. Like she's been in the car for hours and hours and then the car's on fire. So he drives it into a lake in order to extinguish it. And then, so that kind of puts out the fire. But then what happens is he has to kind of go... She's still in the boot. She's going to drown. Okay, so yeah. he gets a big crowbar, wedges the whole thing up. But as he's about to do that, other dude pops back up. So he has to stab him in the heart. And then he wedges it up. 
Right. All the while he's standing up in the lake, in the middle of a lake, and he's kind of only knee deep. It doesn't really add up. Okay. Yet a car can and yet be a car submerged. Can then, can then sink. It doesn't yeah. really add up. And so then he stabs her, wedges open the thing, gives her a hug. Other guy is dead, and then they creep out. And then all of a sudden, the car just sinks while he's kind of floating above the water. It doesn't make any uh, physics sense at all. Okay. But absolutely loved it. I'll give you the tagline to wrap up. So this is the end of the podcast. So here's the tagline for Stolen. <clears throat> 12 hours, $10 million, one kidnapped daughter. See you next month. Bye. Oh, yeah, and just quick uh, shout out. This is going to be our last podcast in Spool Towers in Smithfield uh, because Colin's got evicted. Uh, so yeah I kept having the parties and the neighbours complained lawyers were called and um, yeah it's going to be who knows where the next podcast is going to come from so hopefully he'll end up in the back of a taxi in the boot yeah and uh, we could record it from a set like the sound insulation in a in a soundproof taxi boot would yeah be, maybe I should watch it and it'll give us some ideas maybe so anyway okay. we will definitely be here on the 29th or 30th of April but you know who knows could be recorded from a prison or anything bye stay tuned <laughs>